Good afternoon, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Oh, it's, I guess, just before 6 p.m. I guess we're fairly close to talking about the evening now. So I hope you're having a relaxing and wonderful day slash evening slash morning slash wee hours, if you should be up. And I had a sort of interesting question posed to me today on the uh, board, though, of course, it came through psychically to me while I was hard at work. And it was a question which was related to what I had talked about the other day, which was that I was a pro-Iraq war as, uh, I guess, up until certainly, gosh, you know what, I'm not even going to try and figure it out. But I was at some point pro-Iraq war, uh, before the war, and I think it was really just as it was drawing up, as it was becoming imminent, that I switched my viewpoint to something a little bit more sane and a little bit more humane. And that was all to do with uh, our good, dear, departed friend, Mr. Harry Brown, who had some uh, excellent things to say with regards to war and who was a great uh, friend, though I barely had any contact with him, maybe once or twice. We emailed, but uh, a great friend as far as helping me to really understand what violence was all about. And he's the one who sort of finally broke me of what I, um, I don't exactly know what the right term even is. I, it was a kind of minarchism, I'm sure. But my basic philosophy, sort of from my teenage years onwards, was that there should be a government, but it should be funded voluntarily. And, of course, I didn't go into the bowels of this contradiction, neither did I experience it as a contradiction, except really as it showed up in my personal life in the contradiction in the kind of uh, ethics that I believed in versus the ethics that I lived, which were really not at all the same thing. And... So I wanted to um, uh, talk a little bit today about my sort of history of bloodlust, about my history of warlust, in the hopes that I can turn some people away from what I consider to be a very spiritually destructive set of beliefs, a very psychologically damaging uh, set of beliefs. At least it certainly was for me. Uh, it uh, caused me to retain a kind of coldness and a falseness in my philosophy and thus subsequently and inevitably within my personal relationships and it gave me a um, well let's uh, might as well talk about it rather than talking about talking about it so uh, so let me at least start uh, from the beginning of course I was raised with all of the bloodlust that British children are supposed to have with regards to the glorious history of England in the Second World War. It's my personal belief, as I have mentioned uh, once or twice before, that the reason that British people are so obsessed with the Second World War is because it was such an enormous and catastrophic waste of, of resources, because everybody um, uh, fought for this war and died for this war, and uh, all too sadly, it resulted in the mass um, uh, putting together or the mass, uh, uh, the mass 
generation. <laughs> Good Lord. Hey, remember when I could use words? That was kind of fun, wasn't it? <laughs> we liked that. That made podcasting quite a bit easier. Um, they fought against socialism and ended up by having socialism imposed upon them by the state. So there is a, you know, a, a gruesome kind of tragedy in the history uh, of the Second World War, of course, just absolutely abysmal in the way that it shook out for the average and general population. And so, like all traumas that aren't understood, emotionally they have to be replayed over and over and over again, but with the same kind of brittle, with the this, this sort of brittle sameness about the whole process, uh, a, uh, a non, uh, a deadness, a kind of, a, you know, like uh, if you have a kind of shallow, manipulative mom and she bursts into tears every time this or that happens, it's kind of a shallow, it's like a groove worn in the soul, or the lack of a soul, and that really is what uh, goes on in uh, England with regards to, maybe it's in the other countries uh, as well, but mostly in England, that's the one I know of. Um, this view of the Second World War as uh, England's finest hour. And the scarring that was inflicted upon the world, uh, particularly in Europe, with regards to the Second World War, was something that was impossible for people to process, particularly the idea that it was all in vain, that it was all uh, a waste of, of time, that basically what happened was one generation in their the average age of soldiers in World War II, I think was about 27, so one generation grabbed uh, some freedom for themselves, but of course they were less free at the end of the Second World War with some minor economic, uh, some minor changes in economic freedom, less free at the end of the Second World War than they were at the end of the First World War, uh, and uh, certainly their children grew up, those born in the sort of late 40s, early 50s, grew up to get uh, LBJ's Great Society, uh, price controls, stagflation, the EPA, OSHA uh, in the U.S., and of course lots of other government agencies and regulations throughout the rest of uh, the, uh, the world. And so, of course, it was absolutely terribly and totally tragic and it's something that people really can't comprehend. Uh, certainly, it would be very hard for my family, who was uh, heavily involved in war, to really be able to comprehend the wiping out of you know, half a dozen family members, half a dozen men, and uh, you know, probably an equal number of children in the bombings, and for my mother to see most of her family wiped out, because, of course, she came from, uh, her mother was Jewish, and for my mother's own childhood to be the carnage and brutal series of orphanage rapes that I'm absolutely positive that it was, it's hard for people to look at that and to imagine that it was worse than in vain. See, in vain would be, well, that didn't make us any more free. But that, of course, is not the case. What happens is that when wars get declared, thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of people get slaughtered, and what ends up is that society is a lot less free than it was prior to the declaration of war. So it's worse than in vain. Uh, the U.S. Uh, recently has passed a, a resolution or a bill, I think, signed by the president that legalizes torture pretty much, allows vague definitions of torture to be defined by the executive branch, and also excuses those who participate in torture. It excuses it uh, immunizes them from subsequent prosecution. And this, of course, is the result. This is the, the precious freedoms that millions, uh, sorry, that hundreds of thousands of soldiers are over in Iraq defending. I mean, this is the hilarious thing 
in a, in a grimly cosmic kind of way, and it will probably take a few thousand years for the joke to be really fully appreciated by the majority of human beings, but it is, of course, a grim and terrible but fundamentally hilarious joke that the war on terror is producing terror at home, right? I mean, that this is absolutely inevitable, right? It's called projection psychologically. Uh, those people over there are bad. You know, we are, we are good. And this, the sort of grim horror of this kind of uh, irony is uh, something that happens when people don't process the horror of war. What is the price of Americans failing to process an unjust invasion of a foreign country? Well, there's a price to be paid for that. I mean, everything, uh, morality is, is omnipresent, morality is universal, morality is inescapable, and you either sort of get with the program as far as ethics go, or basically your life turns into a nightmare. So what is the price for Americans, and possibly those around the world as well, but certainly Americans, what is the price for the American population for failing to genuinely process that the government declared war and invaded and killed hundreds of thousands of people uh, on uh, completely flimsy uh, excuses? I mean, what happened? It's gone into the memory hole, right? It's gone into the memory hole like New Orleans and all the other things that happened which prove that the government can't tie its own shoelaces without decapitating someone. And what happens? Well, there's no mass revolt in the citizenry, right? There's no moral horror that George Bush declared war and has committed an inter the international crime of aggression and is morally indistinguishable from just about every other aggressor, aggressive dictator throughout history, has declared war on false pretenses and has invaded a foreign country under false pretenses. And, I mean, all of the stuff that they came up with, you know, aluminum tubes and going for yellow cake from Niger, it's all the most patent nonsense, right? And this kind of, uh, you know, what is the price for failing to recognize the moral horror of what has occurred over the past few years? And that, of course, is the moral horror that people are blind to because they didn't process what happened previous to all of this in U.S. foreign policy and the foreign policy of other imperialist countries and so on. So failing to recognize the moral horror of sanctions against Iraq and failing to recognize the moral horror of using uranium-tipped warheads in the first Gulf War and failing uh, before that, failing to recognize the horrors that occurred in Nicaragua and San Salvador and Granada and the Falklands and uh, all of the uh, all of these things, right? And of course, it all goes back to failing to recognize the moral horror of World War II, of uh, of uh, the um, the uh, the chicken in every pot uh, New Deal, uh, of um, the hyperinflation in Germany, of the First World War, of the Crimean War, of the uh, Napoleonic Wars, of the Wars of the Roses, because uh, people sort of just can't really fundamentally process. Uh, or refuse to. I don't know. I mean, I'm never going to guess what goes on for other people. But because they don't process these kinds of things, so the government's always going to expand, right? The Patriot Act II, or whatever the hell they're calling this new bill of horror, is sim simply the price. It's the price you pay for uh, failing to uh, take action uh, in a verbal sense against your own government, right? People just kind of go, oh, okay, I guess we invaded Iraq, and uh, I guess it really wasn't that justified, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe they thought the best of it at the time. And uh, the fact that people aren't 
uh, vociferously arguing, I guess, as I try to, to do from time to time, that the state should be abolished, uh, or at least uh, that we should you know, get the hell out of Iraq. Um, this is the price you pay, right? By refusing to recognize the horror that your governments are committing overseas, you will end up with your government importing that horror to you. I mean, that's, you know, look at, look at what goes on in foreign policy as a lab for domestic policy, because that's really what, what it is. Uh, you just look at any history of any dictatorship, the aggression that occurs uh, overseas, uh, usually, almost always, at least that I can think of, occurs overseas before it occurs uh, at home. And so if you uh, don't have empathy for Iraqis, then don't expect anybody to have empathy for you. Uh, and I put myself in that category, of course, as a couple of years ago, although I did have a false and misplaced sense of empathy. But that's the price. You know, I, I, there's, there's simply no way around it. Uh, if you don't have empathy for others, you can't have empathy for yourself, fundamentally. You also, people are very sensitive to hypocrisy. And so if you feel that your government declaring war and invading a, uh, another country uh, on false pretenses is not a moral horror of the first order, then the result is that you can't then oppose the expansion of brutal state power within your own country. You've already said that the state can do all this wonderful good by using violence. So how are you going to then suddenly say, oh, no, the violence is only for Iraq, right? The brutality and violence of the government and its, uh, its uh, positive effects on the moral health of the nation, that's for Iraq. That's not for us. I mean, that would be so blatantly hypocritical that this is sort of the... Um, the step-by-step -step approach that states take to whittle down your personal liberties, right? So uh, I was uh, for the war, and I was for the war for very ignominious reasons, for very um, a false, hypocritical, shallow, false self reasons, to be perfectly frank. I guess I always try to be. You're probably aware of that by now. But why was I for the war? Well... I was for the war because I thought, or I felt, that it made me look tough and manly. That was a very strong element of why I was for the war. And I, I wouldn't really underestimate the degree to which that is the case for other people as well. That uh, lots of people are pro-war because they like the idea of siding in their spirits with the square-jawed Marines and the tough but fair soldiers who are out there battling the devils of this world to uh, water the tree of liberty with the blood of tyrants, right? I mean, there's a, a frankly, a, a sort of pathetic machismo that I felt, at least maybe uh, other people have different reasons. There was a kind of pathetic machismo that I felt with regards to war that uh, allowed me to uh, or caused me to feel that it was all uh, good and tough talking uh, and made me a real uh, a hero and a staunch, uh, serious, pragmatic, tough-minded moralist to uh, talk about my approval of a war that cost me nothing. There's no real way to look at it in a way that shines even the remotest positive light on me during this phase of my uh, moral development. I certainly don't hate myself for doing it, but I certainly do wish that uh, it was a little bit less common in society that we hold beliefs 
because of the aesthetic effects that we believe that those beliefs have on others. Boy, what a sentence. <laughs> I tried running, um, just for funsies, uh, I tried running uh, a little bit of one of my podcasts, one of the WAV files, uh, through a, um, a, uh, a speech-to-text uh, program, and uh, it just <laughs> it really didn't have any luck at all. I think it would be much faster simply to uh, listen to it and type it out, but I was just curious how well it would do. So it was a, a form of um, it was a form of aesthetic shallowness. I, I'm not even sure of the right phrase to use my my sort of uh, uh, beliefs about the war, but I very strongly remember that some of the people that I used to work with, we'd sit down uh, at dinner and we'd talk about the war, and uh, I would use uh, the sort of cliches that uh, I had come across that. Uh, bolstered my uh, oh-so-manly and virile position. And I would say things like, well, you know, uh, uh, so sure, some Iraqis are going to die, but, you know, 10,000 Iraqis are dying now in Saddam's prisons a, a month anyway, and so blah, 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 right? It's still going to be better off. They're going to be better off afterwards. And I used the examples of um, Japan and of... Um, uh, Germany, of course, after the Second World War, and I believed that there were weapons of mass destruction, and uh, I believed that the intelligence was uh, fair and justly done, and I believed that it was a moral crusade to go and liberate the Middle East, and I believe, I mean, I knew enough, of course, by that point to know that it had nothing to do with 9-11, but uh, I believed uh, all of the nonsense that the government told me, and yet I was completely skeptical of all of the um, stuff the government told me about the educational system and welfare and the medical systems and so on, all the other stuff that the government runs. I was very skeptical about all of that, you see, because I was such an independent-minded thinker. But I swallowed wholesale all of the stuff and all of the tough-minded stuff that the government told me about the reasons that it was going over with a bunch of thugs to kill hundreds of thousands of people. Murder. And... I did that, you know, partly because there is uh, a kind of aesthetic that I should have been perfectly aware of based on the fact that it's something that we capitalists have to fight constantly, right? The sort of Mr. Burns character of the capitalist, right? The, the greedy, fat, capitalist, Daddy Warbucks kind of pig. Uh, that is a, uh, an aesthetic cheat in an argument that is uh, something that we capitalists have to oppose quite often. And, of course, what I did uh, was I swallowed the kind of aesthetic cheats that are always involved in conversations about war, which is that uh, people uh, who aren't pro-war are, you know, sandalistas, right? The sort of granola, hippie, peaceniks uh, that would have let uh, Hitler march all over Europe and who would have ended up uh, bleating like lost little lambs in the concentration camps because nobody ever came forward and uh, stood up against evil, and so evil step-by-step step, uh, rules the world, and people who don't put up a fight, they claim some sort of virtue, but really they're just cowards, and they're not willing to be tough and to stand up against evil, and blah, 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 blah. They just, they're all talk, and they're all, you know, it's not virtue at all. It's just cowardice. And so, you know, you, you saw all of the anti-war protesters, and they were all sort of freaky-looking, hippie-looking kind of, hippy-dippy kind of people, 
And so I accepted, uh, swallowed the hook, line, and sinker, all of the aesthetic cheats involved in the war arguments, right? So you had, you know, tough-minded people who were really interested in protecting your liberty. And uh, regretfully, uh, we must uh, use violence. We're forced into this corner, uh, and uh, Saddam Hussein has to be taught a lesson, and he can't thumb his nose at the world, and he can't flaunt this, that, and the other, and he's whatever, whatever, right? And I swallowed it completely completely and to me it was it would have been embarrassing to be anti-war right i was con i was a complete conformist in this in this area so i went around trumpeting the virtues of the war and even after the war i remember after i had changed my mind of course the con the uh, the conversations got very explosive very quickly uh, and I guess I knew all of that, right? It was all wrapped up, right? I mean, if you're around the kind of people who get offended by you being anti-war, then uh, you kind of have uh, shouldn't be having a whole lot to do with them as a whole, right? I mean, people who can't, who think that the use of violence is a-okay, -okay, uh, shouldn't really be in your life uh, at all, right? I mean, if you're interested in thinking and reasoning with people, those very keen on AK-47s as a good way of resolving disputes, uh, you know, shouldn't really be around because either they're violent or they're hypocritical, right? Either way. It doesn't really look so good, right? So either they're violent, in which case they will pull out a gun and shoot you for disagreeing with them, or they're hypocritical in that they wouldn't, but they want other people to do it out of sight you know, so that they don't really see it. They won't steal money, but they would like to get a government grant. So they don't want to dirty their hands with actually committing the crimes themselves. They just like other people over the horizon to do it and get themselves mailed a nice tidy little check because they don't want to you know, do any sort of messy, any kind of messy stuff. That's no good. So it was a um, uh, a, a kind of um, desperate projection of courage and why, uh, you know, the fundamental question for me is always why. Uh, why do I need to? Not not the what. What I was doing was pretending to be courageous. Uh, and, and the question is why. Uh, why was I pretending to be courageous? Why does a human being need to exaggerate a particular trait in a false and positive kind of way? Well, I'm sure it's not going to be fairly, uh, it's not going to be too hard to figure this one out. The reason that a human being projects an exaggerated trait is because in reality, he is deficient in that trait. So the reason that I had to talk tough about the war and to put myself forward as a verbal armchair warrior of noble heroic abstinence from fighting was because I was extraordinarily deficient in uh, a little virtue we like to call courage. I had to talk tough because I was a coward, and so my own cowardice, what did I do with it, right? Because you can't just erase it. It's there. It's real. And so what did I do with my own cowardice? Well, like most people who get into these kinds of uh, false and hypocritical situations, what I did was... I projected my cowardice onto these peaceniks, right? So I would say, oh, those people, they're just talking, you know, they, they think it's virtue, but it's really just cowardice and so on, right? And they're, they're the cowards. I'm the tough guy, and they're the cowards. When, of course, the reality is that I was the coward, and they were, in fact, uh, most of them, not all of them, a lot of them anti-war people are conformist and socialist and so on. But those who were legitimately doing it, people like Harry Brown, who were doing it from a sort of real standpoint, uh, they were the uh, uh, they were the um, uh, the heroes. They were the courageous ones, 
And I was the coward, right? The cowardice can't go away. It can't vanish because it's real and it's there. And so the only thing that can happen with that cowardice is that it ends up being projected into some other group. Right? So a lot of Americans who are pro-war are very angry at the terrorists, right? Because they say, well, they're, you know, mad, horrible, violent, uh, unjust aggression. Uh, and, of course, that's themselves. It's their own government, and they have to project it onto the other side, right? Again, this is not to say, as I'm sure I don't need to say, that there's anything moral that's going on on the other side either, but um, it's just important if you're going to use principles to apply them consistently, as I didn't for, you know, uh, quite a few years. So... I was a coward, and let me tell you how uh, how I was a coward, and let me tell you how that translated into war fever. Well, if I believe that liberty must be is a tree that must be watered with the blood of tyrants, right? If I'm uh, so uh, so strong and and so tough and so uh, so staunch with the oak-like belief that liberty is a treasure to be won uh, through uh, courage, then it could be reasonably asked of me. Uh, you could sort of go back in time if you wanted, and I, I would appreciate it. It saved me a little bit of time. Uh, go back and say, Steph, so you say yeah, you are pro-war not because you're pro-violence and you think that shooting people is a good idea. Why, no, I am not pro-violence, and I do not think that shooting people is a good idea in general. Okay. Now, you believe that liberty requires courage and resolution of action as one of the reasons that you are pro-war. Yes, Liberty requires courage and resolution of action. And um, uh, and that freedom is a state of virtue that uh, must be defended with um, uh, assertive uh, action. Yes. And then uh, you would be quite right, I think, in asking me and saying, well, do you believe or do you feel that all of the people in your life are virtuous and moral and good and noble people? And I would say, well, no, not everyone, right? It's okay. Well, then you'd say, well, how many of those people who are in your life, dear Steph, are noble and virtuous and good people? And I would say, well, uh, this guy and maybe that guy sometimes. Well, what about your girlfriend? No. No, not really. Um, okay, what about your brother? Good Lord, no. Mother? No. Father? No. Friends that you're sitting with at the table who are pro-war, are they people of high virtue and integrity? No. What about your business partners? Are they people of high virtue and integrity? No. Okay. Have you made any moral compromises that have resulted in harm to other people in a way that was morally compromised, right? And I would say, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely did. And then, uh, you know, it might be then worthwhile asking me, and again, I would certainly appreciate it if you don't mind popping back in time and save me a little bit of energy here, then saying, well, if you believe that virtue is a state and freedom is a state that requires resolute action to maintain, might I inquire of you, dear younger Steph, why, just why, it is that you are not actually taking that action in your own life? That's a perfectly reasonable question, right? <laughs> I mean, really, I hate to laugh because it's war, but it is kind of funny, you know, thinking back on it, just how ridiculous my thinking was.
and how glad I am that I'm not podcast. <laughs> I wasn't podcasting back then. But it's funny in a deeply horrible kind of way. It's funny because you see, I'm I'm very concerned with the freedom of Iraqis, <laughs> right? With them being uh, free from exploitation and with them being free from the inevitable compromises that come from negative authority, right? And I don't even have that authority in my life. I have no Saddam Hussein telling me you have to see your family and you have to be in business with these people and you have to be friends with these people and you have to date these women and blah, 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 right? So I was, I was very concerned with the freedom of Iraqis while I was not even using my own freedom. I mean, it's grimly, grimly funny. It's a comedy of absolute self-blindness. Because, see, I'm all about the freedom. I'm all about the freedom, and I'm all about the staunch, uh, you know, take-no-prisoners approach to liberty. Because, you know, you've got to be free. Freedom is, you know, watered blood of tyrants, free. Ah! And yet, I was not free at all in my own life. And I was taking no resolute and courageous steps towards achieving freedom and integrity within my own life. It's completely cowardly. So I am uh, such a brave uh, armchair warrior that I am, uh, have absolutely no doubt that uh, we should send people thousands of miles to kill thousands of people because I'm all about the freedom and the staunch action that maintains it. But was I willing to pick up the phone and break with the corrupt people in my life? Oh, no. Oh, no. You see, you see, freedom is for the Marines in Iraq, thousands of miles away. Uh, it's a gift that you grant to people that you don't know, uh, that is enforced by people that you don't know, and is paid for by mechanisms that you don't understand and in ways that you don't have to fund. See, that's what freedom is. Like Freedom is a dancing invisible elf on the far side of the moon, and it's so important that we should make it the number one focus of our life at all times. But as far as actually going to achieve freedom in my life, no, 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 that's for Iraq. That's for the Marines. That's for the government, you see, to enforce. Because I'm a tough guy, right? And I'm all about, I'm all about being assertive. For the cause of freedom, you see, I'm all about that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's too sad for words to think about the kind of nonsense that I believed back then. Freedom. It is a state that the government can achieve thousands of miles away by killing thousands of people, but it's not something that I would be willing to pick up the phone and achieve with no bloodshed in my own life right now. Because that's how much I value freedom. People should die for it, you see. People should be killed, and people should die for it. Because it's that valuable that souls should fly from erupting gun wounds and blood should spill like a river. Babies should be killed. Mothers and pregnant mothers should be blown up. I am willing to countenance all of that for the cause of freedom. All the bloodshed and genocide the world over for the cause of freedom. <laughs> 
pick up the phone and tell my mother I don't want to see her. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that because I'm I'm supporting freedom in I'm supporting freedom in Iraq. You see, not not here. I'm a, I'm about freedom in Iraq, not not here. You see. So that's uh that's my brave warrior stance, right? That's just an <laughs> I guess fairly important thing to understand that that's uh, what I'm all about with regards to freedom or at least what I was all about with regards to freedom and that's why I'm so glad I didn't podcast back then. Thank you so much for listening. I hugely appreciate it. Uh I I, I look forward to your donations. Come by join us on the board freedomainradio.com/board/b o a r d. I will talk to you soon.